0: On July 17, 2020, J.I. Packer, the beloved Anglican author and theologian, went home to be with the Lord. And yet his life and ministry continued to impact the lives of countless Christians around the world, primarily through his many books and essays. Shortly after his passing, I sat down with Sam Storms, author of Packer on the Christian Life, to discuss his life and legacy. Today, we're excited to reshare that interview in honor of the release of a beautiful commemorative edition of the book that Packer is most well known for, Knowing God, now available from Crossway. Let's get started. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the Crossway podcast today. Uh, It's good to be with you today. I'm looking forward to this. So, J.I. Packer... Looms large as one of the most influential evangelical theologians of the 20th century. Uh, Did you ever meet him personally?
1: Yes, I did on several occasions. Um, I think the, you know, I think I uh, heard him speak and lecture on a number of different occasions, but didn't meet him personally. But the first time uh, that we met personally was at a conference in Dallas. I can't even remember the year. It had to have been probably back in the. Uh, early 2000s, and he and I shared a platform in a panel discussion on a particular theological issue, and then I uh, had the opportunity to have a couple of meals with him, and then finally um, we reconnected in a more personal way when I was teaching at Wheaton College. Um, Kind of a humorous story about that. Um, I had a student that I was mentoring who was at Wheaton who absolutely uh, if I can say it in a rever- reverential sort of way, worship the ground that Packer walked on. He, he <laughs> held him in such high, high regard. And I was, uh, assigned the task of picking, uh, Jim up at the, at the, by the way, he insists that people call him Jim. I'm not being overly uh, personal there or flipping, but to pick him up at his hotel and take him to dinner. And he was lecturing at the Wheaton theology conference. Actually, I take that back. It was, uh, it was a conference on ECT, the Evangelicals and Catholics Together issue, and he was uh, he was delivering one of the messages on that. So I told this young student, I said, "Hey, come with me. We're going to go to dinner before the session, but I have to pick up an out of town guest." Uh, and he asked, "Who?" I said, "Oh, don't worry about it. You you wouldn't know him." And so we pulled up, <laughs> pulled up the hotel, and I go in, and I walk out, and and um, open the door, and Packers sits down in the passenger side of the f- front, and my friend back there almost had a heart attack and he is to this day, (laughs) he has never forgiven me. He said, he said, I've, he said, I was speechless. I said, I probably made a fool of myself. He said, I probably couldn't even pronounce the name Packer. And, uh, but it was uh, we laugh about that quite a bit, but yeah. And so I've had opportunities just over the years, uh, at evangelical theological society meetings to, to see Jim. Um, I wish I had spent more time personally with him, um, but, uh, unfortunately that hadn't been the case largely because he's up in Canada and I'm down in Oklahoma.
0: So you mentioned the fact that he always insists on being called Jim. Uh, I think sometimes when there, there are quote unquote celebrity Christians or celebrities of any kind, really, uh, we, we have this sense of who they are in public, but we don't often get a chance to actually meet them in person and talk with them and see what they're like in private. How, what is Packer-like? Uh, what, what were some of the things that he said and did that you think kind of gave you an insight into him as a person?
1: Well, I th- I, th- I think you've touched on it right there. Um, you're right. There, there are some c- celebrity-type theologians and speakers who expect to be treated with uh, special care and have uh, VIP um, uh, treatment all along the way. Jim is not that way. He is so down-to-earth, so uh forthright uh just a a normal human being i mean you, you obviously when he starts talking and he uh, you begin to to get a grasp of um the magnitude of his mind and his grasp on theological issues it's it kind of startles you because he is just a very down to earth um individual he doesn't uh uh you know his his physical presence is very unimposing <laughs> if i can use that he does not command attention. Uh, he's just a very kind, down-to-earth, um, ordinary Christian man. Uh, profoundly uh, courteous, and uh, expresses gratitude uh, for, uh, and, and really, in, in many respects, amazement that anybody would want to spend time with him. So um, he is—he's not the sort of individual that you you kind of shake in his presence because you think you're uh, surrounded by greatness. He's just a very down-to-earth. Um. Just, I, I would say, the consummate Christian gentleman.
0: Hmm. Yeah. In your book, you write that in our age of Christian celebrity, Jim Packer feels oddly out of place. Um. I, I wonder, do you think there's anything that current Christian leaders, maybe even the young men and women who are who are currently sort of on the cusp of entering into that leadership kind of role uh, in the church broadly? can learn from Packer's example in that regard?
1: Well, definitely. Um, he is. He just doesn't draw attention to himself. Uh, I mean, when he speaks on an issue, he speaks with authority and is very pointed and very clear, but he doesn't seek a uh, platform. He doesn't seek out praise. He's not the sort of individual who flourishes um, by being uh, acknowledged in public and and lauded by by others, he um, you know he's very quiet and very unassuming. Um, you know, I'm sitting here at my desk looking over at a note that he uh, wrote to me after the publication of my book, Packer on the Christian Life. and it's uh, one of the interesting things we might talk about later. It's actually uh, typed on a typewriter. You can tell by it it's it was not done on a computer. He's never used a computer <laughs> in his life. And it's uh, just this dear Sam and a couple of paragraphs of expression of gratitude. And then at the bottom in Christ, and then he signed it, Jim. And, you know, it's just, this is the way he is that he would actually write a thank you note to a nobody like me, just expressing his appreciation for my efforts in writing the book about him. Um, You know, there aren't many people today who write thank you notes, but uh, he did. And that's just the kind of man he is.
0: Yeah. What a special thing to then have and, and to be able to, to have and cherish, you know, for yourself in the future.
1: Yeah, I, I've got it framed and it's sitting on my desk. And, uh, that's just an interesting thing. I just would point out to people, um, um, you know, his life story is fascinating. Uh, when he was young, he, uh, he was given a typewriter by his parents for his birthday. He wanted a bicycle, but there's a reason why they didn't give it to him. Um, we can get into that in a minute if you want to, but um, he has always done his work on a, on an ordinary typewriter. Uh, he's he's not technologically sophisticated. I don't think he owns a cell phone. Um, the only way you can get in touch with him really is through fax. And um, and because uh, I don't I don't have his email address. I don't know if he does email. I guess if he doesn't have a computer, he probably doesn't. Um, but uh, wow. you know just. I, I, I want to say to him, gosh, Jim, do you realize how productive you could have been if you had used a laptop and a
0: word processor and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was spell check
1: and all those things? Although I don't think his spelling needs checking, trust me. But mm.
0: So what do you think you would, if someone were to sit down with him today and uh, kind of open up their computer or pull out their phone and... Uh, show him Twitter. What do you think he would think about it?
1: I I don't re- I have no idea. I don't know what he would do with that. Uh, he would he would probably laugh, or he might ask, "What is that?" <laughs> or uh, "Is it really worth it?" or some such notion. But in his dry British wit, he would probably have some uh, insightful
0: comment to make. Yeah. So so maybe take us a little bit back. Give us a brief sketch of Packer's life. Where was he born? When was he born? And kind of what was his childhood like?
1: Yeah, I think if my, if my dating is correct, he'll turn 94 uh, in July of this year. Uh, he was born, see, born in 1926, so I think that would make him 94 this July. Um, born in uh, Gloucester, England, um, he, there was a, a decisive event in his childhood that really shaped uh, the rest of his life. He was uh, chased from uh, the playgrounds of a young school uh, by a bully and ran out into the street and was struck by um, a bread truck driver and uh, suffered a very serious head injuries. In fact, people today, they see Jim in person, they see what's, they wouldn't ask him, but they've noticed this indentation in his forehead on the right side of his forehead. Um, well, he had what they called a depressed compound fracture of the frontal bone on the right side of his forehead and had injury to the frontal lobe of the brain. They, they feared that uh, he would have serious brain damage, but if anything, it stimulated his brain. Um, but what it did was it forced him uh, to a life of seclusion and somewhat uh, a solitude and a little bit of isolation. He couldn't play with his friends. That's the reason why his parents wouldn't get him a bicycle for his birthday. And uh, he just took to reading and writing. Uh, And that was his life. Um, Obviously, eventually went to Oxford, uh, got his degree there, taught at various schools throughout England. Uh, He he taught um, at Bristol, at Oxford, um, a number of other places, um, and just began to, um, I think largely through the influence of C.S. Lewis, and then eventually Martin Lloyd-Jones came to embrace the Puritans as uh, those who most represent and embody his approach to the Christian life and Christian theology. Um, you know, eventually uh, moved to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, where he taught at Regent College and um, still there, as far as I know, uh, still doing some writing, although his his struggles with his eyesight, I think, has put some substantial limitations on what he can do. Um, but we had always hoped and prayed that he would Eventually, write a systematic theology, a multi-volume theology. I think he got working on it at one time, but uh, I don't anticipate that it, we will ever see it. Maybe we'll see, a, you know, scraps of it or portions and snippets of it here and there uh, eventually, but I don't think we'll ever see the full-blown theology.
0: Yeah, yeah. Going back a little bit, you mentioned C.S. Lewis and um, him being a big influence on Packer's life. That if my dates are correct, the two of them would have overlapped a little bit at Oxford, where Packer was a student and Lewis was a teacher. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I don't know that he ever had, um, I don't know that he ever had Lewis as a professor. Um, He was at Oxford from 1949 to 1952. Um, Certainly he would have known of Lewis. And, you know, I think he heard Lewis's lectures on the radio on what, uh, what eventually became mere Christianity. Um, so I don't know how extensive his personal face-to-face interaction would have been, um, but um, he certainly was influenced by Lewis, more so by Lloyd-Jones. Uh, I think Packer would say that um, Lloyd, in fact, he, he has said in his writings that Martin Lloyd-Jones was the greatest Christian man he ever knew. Um, so, um, so yeah, the, there were certain significant influences on the development of his life and his thinking.
0: Yeah. So the, you mentioned the Puritans and Lloyd-Jones was, um, this formative relationship and an area of study for Packer. Uh, how did they first meet Packer and Lloyd-Jones and, um, what was it about Lloyd-Jones that drew Packer to him?
1: Well, it's interesting. Um, while, while he was, um, when Packer was in London, he would – now try to get your mind around this. This is stunning. On Sunday morning, uh, he would go to All Souls Langham Place and listen to John Stott preach. And on Sunday nights, he would go down to Westminster Chapel and listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones preach. I mean, that was his <laughs> wow. Sunday fair. I mean, can you imagine that? Um, while he uh, was attending um, Westminster Chapel – and got to know Lloyd Jones. They launched um, the what was called the Puritan Conference, and I think it was uh, in the early fifties, and it lasted until about nineteen sixty-six. And so he and Lloyd Jones partnered together to host this conference on the Puritans, and uh, it was a it was a magnificent way of introducing the evangelical world to the Puritans, because the Puritans had had long been, uh, you know, forgotten. And uh, it was largely through Packers and Lloyd-Jones' influence and the Banner of Truth Trust that a lot of the uh, writings of the Puritans uh, finally were brought back um, into uh, the hands of Christians everywhere. And the Puritan Conference lasted for, I think it was until about 1965 or 66. And then there was an unfortunate split between Packer and Lloyd-Jones that I can go into if you want me to that uh, it was very, very sad, very unfortunate in terms of how it affected their personal relationship. But Packer never lost his respect and his love for Lloyd-Jones. And long after that split occurred, he still, as I said a moment ago, referred to Lloyd-Jones as the greatest Christian man he ever knew. So lloyd Jones's verse uh, verse-by-verse exposition of Scripture just that methodical, slow line upon line treatment of the text is what drew Packer to him, and I think had a great influence on the way Packer views Scripture and the responsibility of a of a pastor to preach.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. I want to return to to that split that you referenced between Packer and Lloyd Jones. I'm curious. To s- I want to hear how that what that might reveal about Packer the man and the theologian. But maybe even before getting there, what, what was it about the Puritans that captured Packer's heart?
1: Well, there were several things. He talks often about their realism. In other words, they're just very realistic about life, about their struggles. Um, he, he really appreciated how they were rooted in Scripture, their high view of biblical authority, um, their very strong emphasis on the life of the local church, uh, had a tremendous impact upon him. Obviously, their reformed theology, um, their their emphasis on the sovereignty of God, their emphasis on practical Christian living, just the daily responsibilities of uh, of following Christ, of living according to the Word of God. Um, I think all of those things were what drew him. Um, Maybe especially coming back to this thing about the realism of the Christian battle with sin, with indwelling sin, Uh, a a significant moment in Packer's life uh, happened when he was at Oxford, and uh, um, some individual donated a large collection of books uh, to the Christian union there, and Packer was given the responsibility of kind of cataloging them. And while he was doing it in the basement, in this musty basement, he came across a set of the works of John Owen, kind of the maybe the consummate Puritan. And um, they the pages hadn't even been cut. He had to slice up in the pages uh, one by one. And he came across Owen's treatment uh, called The Mortification of Christian Sin, and, and another one called On Indwelling Sin in the Believer. And he read these, and it, l- it literally transformed his life. He he, he saw the realistic uh, assessment of Owen like, yes, sin is an indwelling reality in the Christian. It's a constant daily battle. And I think Owen, more than anybody else, um, just captivated his heart for a Puritan perspective on the Scriptures and on Christian living. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm struck that even today, uh, the Puritans often sort of Uh, get a bad rap, or that word itself, puritanical, can kind of have these very negative connotations, maybe less so today because of the work of people like Packer and and Lloyd-Jones. But what would Packer say to that idea that the Puritans were this cold, harsh, austere, joyless uh, group of Christians that we would do well to kind of forget about?
1: Well, he would say you have obviously not read them, <laughs> because when you read the Puritans, you discover a a vivacious, joyful um, um, perspective on life, on family, on marriage, on just the, the, the ordinary daily delights that God has provided to us. Uh, um, so yeah, Packer would just simply say that is a misconception that is based on the word Puritan, which... People, you know, like you said, they take this word "puritanical" as meaning austere, legalistic, uh, uh, you know, abstinence to the highest degree. Well, that's not what the word "puritan" means, anyway. It means the, it actually was used to refer to the desire on the part of those individuals to purify the church from the all the external uh, ritualistic trappings of uh, the, of Roman Catholicism, and to to return to a more pure and um, more biblically rooted approach to Christian worship, but if people if people want to really understand the Puritans, Packer's book it's called A Quest for Godliness, is his treatment of the Puritans, and it is superb and it will, I think, bring a a real clarification to misconceptions. Uh, so so yeah, Packer would say obviously you haven't read them, and uh, Packer has, and this book A Quest for Godliness is is excellent. It's a good place to begin.
0: Yeah yeah. So so then you you referenced that the Puritans are kind of what brought Lloyd-Jones and Packer together, and they enjoyed this, you know, close friendship for many years, started this Puritan conference, and then uh, in the the mid to late 60s, everything kind of fell apart. Uh, What happened?
1: Well, there was a conference, and here's the interesting thing. Packer was not present at the conference. He was actually back in Oxford at his home. But there was a conference held, uh, I believe it was held at Westminster Chapel, And um, at this conference, Martin Lloyd-Jones stood up and made an appeal to evangelical pastors to withdraw from liberal denominations. Uh, Lloyd-Jones was very concerned about the theological drift of the Church of England, and um, he basically called upon the theologically orthodox evangelicals to come out of such denominations and to form... uh, um, He didn't call it a denomination, but to unify around the basic Orthodox fundamental truths of the faith. Well, John Stott was actually on the platform sitting behind Lloyd Jones when Lloyd Jones made this appeal. And he got up and basically refuted him or challenged him and said, Look, uh, let's not hastily pull out of uh, the Church of England or other denominations. Let's work from within to try to bring purification, to try to bring theological renewal. And so it was a it was a very public, visible disagreement about what to do. Lloyd Jones said, "These the Church of England, these denominations are corrupt. They're drifting left. Pull out." Stott and eventually Packer aligned himself with Stott on this issue and said, "No, as long as the fundamentals are not denied, let's stay within these denominations. Let's stay in the Church of England and work for renewal from within." And uh, sadly. Um, it did create something of a, of a split between the two, um, Packer stayed in England for about another 13 years, but many believe that it was this event that, that prompted Packer in part to move to Canada because there were a number of evangelicals who thought he had betrayed, uh, their commitment to evangelical orthodoxy. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, but Packer was committed to the church of England. He felt like God had called him to stay within it and to work for reform and renewal within Lloyd Jones said, no, we got to pull out. Uh, so it was a, it was a very sad and, uh, and unfortunate, uh, division. But as I said, um, Packer remained very, he never criticized Lloyd Jones publicly or in his writings. He always praised him, always honored him, even though they did have a fundamental
0: disagreement. Mm. I wonder, did, did Packer ever talk about the split later in life? And did he ever change his mind or think differently? Or did he, does he still feel that that was the right decision at the time?
1: As far as I can tell, he never, uh, changed his perspective. He did write on this in a couple of places. I think I document these in my book, um, and maintained, uh, now let's be clear about something, uh, Although Packer remained within the Church of England, um, he was not at all hesitant about standing up in defiance of what he perceived to be uh, theological drift. Um, so, for example, one of the most famous instances that took place um, once Packer was in Canada. Um, he was a member of the Senate of the Anglican Diocese of New Westminster, and they um put forth a position which said, we want to uh, honor and um, permit same-sex marriages. And Packer was absolutely, uh, just could not believe that this was happening. And at um, the Senate meeting, he and several others actually stood up and walked out as an expression of protest against this, because Packer said, you're now calling evil good, and you are encouraging people on a path of life that will put their souls in jeopardy of eternal damnation. And so Packer was eventually um, put put out of that synod, and he joined another. He's a part of another Anglican fellowship there in Canada. So he was not at all hesitant about uh, being very vocal um, and, and taking the a very controversial stand when he thought it de- was demanded. So yes, he's remained true and faithful to the uh, Anglican communion. He is still very much active within it, but again, also standing very strongly for biblical truth and the principles of Scripture when it comes to sexual ethics and the like. Mm.
0: Yeah, this that kind of reflects the broader commitment to uh, unity in the church and ecumenical dialogue that Packers is kind of become known for in some circles and and criticized for in some circles. I wonder if you could you could talk a little bit about evangelicals and Catholics together. Uh, I think you referenced that already earlier in our conversation. Uh, that's that's a very controversial endeavor that Packer was a part of, pretty famously.
1: Yeah, in fact. Um it's the one area that I didn't go into much detail uh, in my book. Uh, other things have been written, uh, both supportive and critical of Packer's stance. Um, I think there's an, I, uh, there is an article that Christianity Today published uh, in which Packer defends his decision to sign on ECT, which is short for Evangelicals and Catholics Together. He has been uh, roundly criticized by many uh, in fact, it it seriously affected his friendship with R.C. Sproul and and uh, John MacArthur. Um, it's very another kind of sad episode. But um, Jim believed that it was possible for Christians to unite um, around commonly held beliefs for the sake of combating the drift towards secularism uh, within our society. And so, um, when it came to Um, what he would call evangelical Catholics. I know some people say that's a contradiction in terms. Packard doesn't believe it is. I don't believe it is. But he said there were individuals with whom he could stand uh, side by side, not necessarily in agreeing on all theological principles or, or propositions, but enough of a consensus around the fundamentals of the faith that they could form a unified front to address kind of, as I said, the secular drift of society as a whole. So Packer would appeal to what, you know, what he would call, what Lewis would call mere Christianity, kind of the foundational truths of the faith uh, that he believed both Protestant and Catholic would affirm. And um, so again, Jim never, I mean, if you read his writings on justification by faith alone, Um, or any of the other uh, soteriological truths of the faith, you can see that he is not compromised. He has not not been influenced by some of the errors of of Roman Catholicism, but he does want to do everything possible to present, present, as it were, a unified front and a unified voice, Um, just kind of what they called co-belligerence, in which they were united in their fight against what they saw as the increasing uh, decay in society, um, and, uh, and and the secularism that you know that is so per- pervasive in our day today. But yeah, it has been probably the one thing for which Packer has been more criticized than anything else in his life. But I don't have I don't have any reason to think he regrets his decision. I haven't seen him or heard him recant uh, anything in that regard. I think I think he does. Regret the loss of some friendships uh, as a result of it, but I think he believes that the stand he took was was one that needed to be done, and he's willing to pay the price for it. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So, if if our listeners uh, have read any book by Packer, there's a pretty good chance that it would at least that it would at least be the book "Knowing God." The, I think the book that he's most well known for. It was a best-selling book, still is. I think sold at least over a million copies, if not much more by now. Um, Do you remember the first time that you read that book and the impact that it had on you?
1: Oh, yeah. It wasn't the first Packer book I read, though. I think Fundamentalism and the Word of God was the first one. And I think Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God was the second. And then Knowing God was probably uh, the third. Um, Yeah, I think what I appreciated about Knowing God is... I don't have any hesitation in giving it both to the average Christian and also to the well-educated scholar. Uh, that's the that's the genius of J.I. Packer is that he is able to write in a way that is deep and substantive, and therefore informative to the to the highly educated scholar and and to the people in the academy, and yet at the same time write in such a way. That it informs and challenges and encourages the average Christian. So he he is he, it, it, that's a hard middle ground uh, to to maintain. And yet, I don't know that anybody has done it any better than he has. So uh, some people have said they found uh, knowing God a little bit too challenging. Others have said not quite challenging enough, but um I think it's just a wonderful treatment. It's actually came out of a series of of radio lectures that he gave in England on the, the attributes of God. So, yes, I would I would highly recommend it. It's one of, uh, obviously, his most popular and, uh, book. There are numerous others that probably a lot of people don't know about that I wish were, were more widely read as well. His book, Rediscovering Holiness, is just remarkable. It's one of the best treatments of the Christian life I've ever read. Uh, his book, Keep in Step with the Spirit. Even though I have some disagreements with him on on spiritual gifts, it is a superb treatment of the Holy Spirit. Um, his book um, uh, "Truth and Power" on the doctrine of Scripture is is wonderful. He has a book on prayer. Uh, one of his be- one of his most in um, I think enjoyable books is one called "Hot Tub Religion."
0: <laughs> that might be a surprising one for most of our listeners. Yeah,
1: he he his experience in a hot tub. Caused him to start thinking about the approach to Christianity that a lot of people have today—that it's a, it's just this relaxing, passive, uh, s- kind of, um, physically sensuous approach to life, and it, he uses that as a way to challenge the, uh, um, he what he perceives as the misperception of the nature of true Christian faith. So, but yeah, there are so many other uh, treatments, uh, things that he's written on that are so helpful. I just wish people would dig into them and. That he would even get a wider reading
0: than he currently has. Mm. Even the title to that book, uh, maybe getting back to something we talked about earlier, it makes me wonder what's Packer's sense of humor like. He seems like he he doesn't necessarily take himself too seriously and and can laugh at himself or laugh at a situation.
1: Oh yes, yeah. The old idea that you know the British are not very uh, joyful or overt in their humor um, doesn't work with Packer. Now it's a dry wit of course, but, uh, he is, he is remarkably joyful. In fact, that's really what the book hot tub religion focuses on is the, the reality of joy, um, in the Christian life. I, I don't think he's ever actually used the language that John Piper coined, but I, Packer is most certainly a Christian hedonist. And, um, and, Focuses on the joy and the delight and the deep satisfaction we find in jesus uh, so um yeah, he kind of shatters the image of the tight lipped brit who who doesn't know how to laugh or enjoy life he is a and again, by the way that's a character I hope all my British friends know that i don't <laughs> I don't believe that about them. I don't want to get emails and phone calls saying <laughs> no i'm I'm saying that's a caricature of the British, and it certainly is shattered by Jim
0: Packer. Yeah, yeah. So another another way that Packer has famously described himself is as a Latter-day catechist. What did he mean by that?
1: Well, I think what where that came from was his lament at how poorly taught Christians are in the local church today. Um there's this loss of um of just the basics of learning Christian doctrine, Christian truth, biblical teaching. And he wanted to see restored in the life of the local church um, this approach to just the fundamentals of the faith, just the basic uh, Christian uh, doctrines being ta- taught line upon line, point upon point. And so um, I, I think he is deeply bothered. In fact, I know he is by um, the loss of um of a desire for um, going deeper in the knowledge of who God is and the fundamental truths of the faith, because apart from those, Packer is convinced um, that there will never be any successful Christian life. There will never be any um, possibility of actually uh, growing uh, deeper and uh, understanding God in a more vibrant way. So it's language that isn't common uh, among a lot of evangelical Protestants we we hear catechism and most people think of uh, Roman Catholicism because they you know they have produced a formal catechism but it just simply means a commitment to to uh, teaching a methodical systematic approach line upon line to the basic principles of Christian truth um, and he has in fact in some of his writings he has outlined um, the you know the principles uh, that he would cover in a class or as he would lecture. and it's a very comprehensive approach to Christian teaching. Uh, and he just wants to see, basically the bottom line is he just wants to see that restored to the church. Um, he, he he is it, it, it may be, in fact a little bit of a pushback on his part to the topical anecdotal type of preaching and teaching that we have so prevalent in Christian churches. And he would say, let's return. Uh, to the foundational principles of Scripture, to the line-upon-line, verse-by-verse, exegetical preaching, and and focus in on the themes of Scripture, and let's dig deeply into them on a consistent, systematic basis. That's kind of what he has in in mind uh, as he calls the church to to return to what he would call catechesis.
0: Mm. Now, I wonder, what do you think he would say to someone listening right now who, who hears that, uh, but uh, maybe feels... Like I, I don't know if I'm cut out for this the theological conversation and all these terms and these words and the kind of formal structure and uh, systematic structure of some of these categories. It seems like many churches, uh, as you've noted, have shied away from from pressing in on those theological doctrines, those formal conversations uh, in favor of, of of maybe something a little bit more quote unquote, accessible to the average Christian how would Packer respond to that?
1: There's one line that I can't remember in what book uh, he wrote it, but it has stuck with me for all of my life. It's simply this, bad theology hurts people. Bad theology hurts people. Um, And it may even have been in Hot Tub Religion where I first read that. And his point is that how you live The decisions you make day in and day out, the ethical choices, uh, the goals you set for yourself are shaped by what you believe to be true about God and reality. And if what you believe is not well founded in Scripture, it's not based in the truths of God's Word, you're going to be misled, you're going to be deceived. Uh, You're going to eventually hit rocky times, especially when suffering comes upon you, and you're not going to be able much, certainly not to thrive, if even to survive. And so Packer would, I think he would be happy with reversing that statement and saying good theology helps people. It helps people formulate, um, you know, ethical principles. It it informs how they um, make choices, how they set goals for themselves and for their family. Um, so this idea that somehow we can thrive as Christians and become, uh, more and more like Jesus, which of course is the goal of sanctification apart from having our minds transformed by the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. And Jesus Packer would say, it's just impossible. It's not going to happen. Um, so he would, he, he would say, and if you don't believe me, just take a look at the Kind of Christianity, the depth of Christianity um, across the earth today—you know—it's just—it's very broad, uh, it's very widespread, but it's very shallow. And uh, and shallow Christianity, shallow thinking, uh, simplified, overly simplified uh, perspectives on who God is and what the nature of the Christian faith is all about does not help people finish well. I mean, he's Jim has actually written extensively of late on finishing well and how we need to continue to press in even toward our latter years to uh, a deeper understanding of the revelation of God in Scripture because otherwise we won't know how to suffer well. We won't know how to end well. And, of course, we see that so often today in the church with people just kind of apostatizing, spinning out of control, uh, abandoning their faith. Um, yielding to the pressures of the secular society around us, so I would just, I would just say once again, bad theology hurts people. That, that is a really kind of the, um, the cry of J.I. Packer, and hopefully people will listen to that and uh, and take note of it and and make the the decisions to to dig deeper into the Word of God and to read those who've written on these issues like Jim Packer uh, more consistently.
0: Yeah yeah, and he's such a great example of someone who, to your, your point earlier, uh, even in his later years, as his health has failed, uh, he hasn't pulled back from devoting himself to the ministry that God has given him to do. And that makes me wonder if you had to summarize Packer's legacy in, you know, one to two sentences, well, what would you say that that is?
1: I think one would be theology for the sake of the church. Uh, and the reason why I put it in those terms is because Jim Packer is one of the deepest theologians and the, the, the most precise and profound thinkers that you will ever come across. But he always did it and wrote uh, in response to it for the sake of the church. He was, um, he was never, although he, he was in the academy, so to speak, um, for most of his life, all of his thinking, all of his theologizing, all of his writing was for the sake of the average Christian in the local church. So he had um, he had a profound emphasis in all of his writings on what we would call spirituality. How are we changed? How are we transformed? Uh, so that is one thing, and that that leads into the second. And um, he is, I think, perhaps the most since John Calvin himself, um, the man that we call a theologian of the Christian life the the whole issue of sanctification of what he calls consecrated holiness to God daily living uh in the light of the truth of the gospel and how we're changed and how we're how our inner promptings and urgings are transformed this is i think the greatest legacy that jim packer will leave to the church um you know christian uh, sanctification and transformation is is not just a a matter of changing external performance and exchanging one set of bad habits for good habits. Uh, It's a matter of the transformation of the heart. And he has written on this in such a penetrating way um, that I I, I think is really uh, surpassing anything that we have in uh, the evangelical Protestant world since the time of the Reformation. And I think that really, more than anything else, is his lasting legacy.
0: So if you had 15 more minutes with Packer, face-to-face, time for one last conversation, what's one thing that you would want to tell him, and then what's one thing that you would want to ask him?
1: Well, I I, I would have to, I think everybody would say the same thing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for a life well lived. Thank you for not compromising in your latter years. Thank you for not, um, sub, you know... um. Submitting to pressure or yielding to compromise or uh, you know backtracking on your convictions. Thank you for setting an example of what it means to be courageous in your faith and unyielding in your your beliefs. I think that would be the first thing I would say. Um, what would I ask him? Um, boy, that would be you know, that that almost calls for a little more thought. I think what I would ask him would be, do you have regrets? Uh, were there some uh, decisions you made that you, if you had to make over in the light of a, a long life lived that you would do do differently, what would they be? Um, I would want to ask him uh, to go into a little more detail about the greatest influences on his life beyond people like Lloyd-Jones and John Owen and Richard Baxter, who who in the contemporary world, for example, has exerted a influence on him. What does he most look forward to as he enters into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? What anticipation fills his heart in terms of uh, uh, the, the prospects of death? Um, you know, I would even ask him that. What, As you deal with uh, declining health and the prospect of standing in the presence of Jesus, what is it about death that um, that stirs your heart? Is there any apprehension or fear? Um, gosh, there's so many questions I would ask him like that. What advice would he give to me as a as a pastor of a local church and as an author? What counsel would he give to the church at large? You know what are his greatest concerns about the the direction of Christianity today? Those are some of the things I would want to ask him
0: and What do you think he would say to you in response to that question about his own death?
1: I think and just from what I know of the man and what I've read about him. I would think he would talk about the beatific vision, you know, what theologians refer to as that sight or that beholding of the beauty of God revealed in Jesus. Uh, you know, then Revelation, um, last book of the chapter of the book of Revelation, which says, "And the saints will see His face." And I think he would say, "I I have this longing to behold the face of my Savior, and to be in His presence in uninterrupted communion for for eternity." I think that's probably the thing that. Occupies him most in these latter years.
0: Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today about J.I. Packer, this this titan of um, our faith, a man that we respect and have learned so much from, uh, and and yet was just a man, a man who, who, um, who wasn't, who wasn't perfect.
1: perfect. Let's you know, yeah. Let me just wrap that up. I mean, people hear this this podcast and they're going to think that somehow he was a sinless. Uh, perfect. He was not. He was a man who grappled with the reality of sin in his own life, but was very honest and realistic. And he was a human being, but he was a human who was wholly given over to
0: Jesus. Well, thank you so much, Sam. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. That was Sam Storms on the life and ministry of J.I. Packer. Be sure to check out the new hardcover commemorative edition of Packer's classic book, Knowing God, now available from Crossway. Pick up your copy of the book for 30% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more audio content like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a review.